Welcome to the BioCharisma Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. This week, we have Dr. Moshe Daniel. Dr. Moshe Daniel has been a friend of mine for 16 years. I, I had to reach out to him about 16 years ago when I read his work on alchemy, the pyramids, and Joe cells, <laughs> uh, which are organ accumulators, if you don't know. And uh, he was just one of these gentlemen that really inspired me to action. And that's what he's all about. He, he is the most dedicated man that I've met when it comes to really pursuing his, his, quest, his, his quest for knowledge and practice. And all of this is stemmed to the love of earth and humanity. And I'm, I'm not being hippy-dippy when I say that. Like, his, he's a naturopathic doctor. He's a homeopathic. Um, I don't even know if you call them homeopathic doctors. <laughs> um, but he's a homeopath. Uh, he's an inventor, author. He's just an incredible person to know and to listen to because his his knowledge base isn't just from books his knowledge base it comes from an active practice we just visited uh, his new farm in the foothills of the smoky mountains and i have to say it's, it's just like <laughs> you walk onto the deck and there's a huge water vortexer 15 gallon water vortexer right next to a pyramid that is an orgone accumulator <laughs> next to a Brown's gas machine. I mean, it's just one thing after another after another. Moshe has been a wonderful inspiration for me, and hopefully he will be for you also. So please enjoy the podcast. We're here tonight with Dr. Moshe Daniel. He's uh he's my alchemist. He's my 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 resident alchemist who slaps me around whenever I'm getting a little bit too wily with my uh, <laughs> your research, <laughs> my looking into things. And uh, I wanted to have you on tonight to actually talk about alchemy and uh, astrotheology. These two things seem to be you know flaring up now that we're in 2023. There's a lot of people that are. Uh, kind of juiced about this year have a lot of projections going on and uh i just respect your mind so much i i've my audience has heard me talk about you in reference to the mojo cells oh so yeah that, that could be a lot of fun talking about the the or the the orgone <laughs> the the or the orgone chronicles because uh just to give you guys a little a little idea i go to visit moshe and his family about a month ago and you come up onto his porch and he has a pyramid, which, you know, I, I helped with some like little ma masonry, you know, tidbits of information. Early with us, with the concrete pouring and stuff. <laughs> but he had, he had, what, what pitch is your pyramid at? 72, 72 degrees? Uh, yeah, it's, it's the Nubian, the sort of the Russian Nubian pyramid, a very sharp angle. Right. So this man sits in this, in his, in his completely light isolated nubian pyramid with you have you actually have crystals coming in right you actually have light coming through specific crystals is that in that machine no no i have a i have a help basically like a a hat it's it's like a 
it's almost like an aluminum foil hat, you know, but it's not aluminum foil. It's it's made from um iron, like basically galvanized steel. Yeah, it's like chicken wire that I I put some uh some SOS S pad, just pure high grade uh steel steel wool pads. Mm-hmm. And that that is connected with um my um electroculture tower and it's not earth grounded so i ground through the mat that's in the pyramid which is uh, there's a mat that goes into a wire that is grounded into the into an eight foot um, basically a copper rod that's driven eight feet deep so you're sitting between this the polarity of the heavens the positive sky potential and the earth the negative earth potential it's really nice have you i just heard of this alchemical right and you could tell me if you've ever heard of it or if you think it's bogus yeah but i heard one of the one of the big things with the the transformation of consciousness with the alchemists is where they go three Hmm. days and essentially zero light and then the the third day they're to they're to come out of whatever vessel that they're in and and see the the sunrise light oh and cool that, and that's supposed to give the i'm gonna get this wrong like the ultimate type of serotonin for your body and then that and that gives like the 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 full monty like that that totally creates a transcendental moment where now now like all of nature is unlocked to them i i want to try it that sounds great (laughs) i've never i've never heard of the three days of darkness with with the sun gazing but i have certainly a lot of experience with sun gazing it's awesome Mm -hmm. and when you sun gaze and it's important to to be earth grounded like you don't want to be standing in your rubber sole shoes right on the ground, you want to be earth grounded because you're grounding that potential. Also, the sun is also positive potential. Right. Well, that I mean, I've been sun gazing now for 12 or 13 years. You know, one of the one of my good friends down in Costa, he he turned me on to it. And at first I thought he was crazy. (laughs) Like most things, but I found that it like started to clear up any stigmatisms that I had in my eyes interesting yeah 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 like if i had any type of um i guess you would say unclarity or like you know muckiness in my eyes yeah it really started to clean it up and then i started to recognize that whenever i'd be looking at the sun i would have all of these thoughts that were actually limiting me from actually just experiencing what i was experiencing cool and that was before the whole flat earth thing and so it was just like so i was still you know imagining that it was like some some ball of you know an infernal helium 93 million miles away right closer in the winter though it's closer (laughs) (laughs) yeah don't mind that parabolic curve coming in um but it was very interesting to to actually get to a point of interactivity with it after the fe model came on the scene because I had had some moments with with uh, ayahuasca and being with the stars and understanding how interactive being with the stars was and then doing sun gazing after the FE and not having this projection that this thing is so far away. 
Right, right. Very cool. <laughs> and so now it's very, it's, it, it is interactive also. Have you found that to be so like when you're, when you're, first of all, what do you actually think the sun is? That's probably like a huge alchemical question right off oh, the Oh man, it is. So that is like almost <laughs> the alchemical question. Honestly, like when you, one of the most, I don't know, tried and tested or definitive books on alchemy, it's very archetypal by Hermes Trismegistus, it's attributed to him, is uh, the Emerald Tablet of Thoth, right? The Emerald Tablet. So Thoth and Hermes are kind of like an equivalent character. And basically, it's talking about the miracle of the one thing, this one thing that manifests in these different ways. And one of the, the taglines in that book is the, its father is the sun. Mm. So the sun supplies or originates through the sun. This It doesn't originate through the sun, but the sun channels a higher light from a higher dimension into our world which is the fire solar masculine father quality of the philosopher's stone of the stone of that which makes us alive um you know in a prolonged fashion it maintains life mm -hmm. so so with the philosopher's stone so I'm, I know we're already bouncing around, so I apologize about that. No problem. Bounce away. With, with with alchemy, there is this this desire to attain the philosopher's stone, which elongates the physical life. Yes. What is the purpose of elongating the physical life? So it's not. It doesn't just elongate the physical life. It also purifies the body, and it purifies the probably the vital body and the emotional body and the mental body. You're basically taking pure. You're taking the pure spiritus mundi, the spirit of the world, in in such a concentrated form that your body can really benefit from it. You know, like when you sit in an orgone accumulator. We're we're always bathed in orgone, but when you sit in an accumulator, you're getting like four to six times the concentration of the normal atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Well, when you ingest the philosopher's stone, you're getting this stuff of life, this substance of life. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one thing that one thing I'll share with you, which I I find is such a beautiful way of looking at it. It's a, it's one of these tidbits insights into alchemy. So, come the springtime, we have this flare of birth and growth the animals are all rutting and making babies we feel alive more alive the flowers are all blossoming and there's a great growth why it's because this spiritus mundi is returning to the planet mm -hmm. and oh, in that area and it has to do with for me this is my interpretation it has to do with the balance of nature so what is the spring equinox, right? It's the, the day is the same length as the night. So the, the solar influence is balanced with the lunar influence. So we have balance. And that's what alchemy is all about. It's balancing opposites. So mm. the father of the, of the thing, the one thing is the sun, but the mother is the moon. So after there's this portal that opens up at the equinox and the spiritus mundi just floods into the planet, into the earth, and you have all this regrowth and regeneration. Mm -hmm. So the alchemist is attempting to 
to harness that spiritus mundi and to concentrate it to to basically to uh fix it because it's very volatile it's extremely volatile um yeah so so that's that's all that's all i have to say about that <laughs> i don't know if i was going to go anywhere else with that <laughs> So you have a practice now where you concentrate that you meditate in the morning and the meditation, what type of, is it an active meditation? Is it a negation meditation? Do you switch it up? Like what, what's your jam? Well, my jam is like when I'm, I have the Brown's gas, so I'm inhaling Brown's gas with pranayama. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing pranayama for about 20, 30 minutes. And then I'll switch into some uh, Taoist yogic techniques of drawing up the the vital energy from the, the gonads mm -hmm. and that really fires up because the the seed the seed is also another principle of alchemy that everything that exists in us comes from the seed the seed mm -hmm. of a tree comes the whole tree comes from the seed so the seed is the essence of something Mm -hmm. So when you drop the power of the seed, I don't I don't think you're physically drawing up, although I read this book on Taoism and there was this master who had this big bulb sticking out of his head from drawing up the seed so much he may have actually had a bunch of semen sticking in his head. He, I don't he, know. <laughs> he had a homunculi growing out of his forehead. Right, exactly. Uh, um but I draw up, I draw that, that's and then I circulate it in the microcosmic orbit. And then I go into, I go into like, you can call it Samadhi meditation where I I'll stop breathing. I'll just, the breath slows. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just, um, my mind at that point, the mind is just focusing on stillness or on, on the witness. That's what I'll do. On the big eye, the big eye, the Atman, the mm -hmm. consciousness, pure consciousness. Mm-hmm. That's mm -hmm. so awesome, man. I just think of, I love the cycles of life because when we first met, I was coming out of an ashram that was all about Atma Vachara, self-inquiry, you know, and you you helped uh, kick my ass back into reality because <laughs> I had I had <laughs> I had uh, kind of lost myself. I had actually lost in. I mean, I don't know how much I want to say about it, but the. I have witnessed in my life all the problems that I've had have been with identification. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> that, I would say it's everyone. And that is the problem. Yeah. And so that practice was very beneficial in at least getting me to the fourth wall, getting to that area where I could witness the, the, the little eye witness the, the, that which feels separate yeah and have some space from it and be able to witness it that's amazing and uh, you know i i believe there is a way and i think quite a few yogis and quite a few paths encourage getting stuck in non-dualism now that might sound funny but there was some guy and I'm, I'm sorry i don't even remember his name i somebody quoted that somebody i don't even remember his name but he was apparently a guy in like in in this like um universal consciousness very evolved person who said you know yeah that's a problem of being stuck in non-dualism so i think that we can get stuck in non-dualism and deny the body deny the self the the lower self because 
you know, life is Leela, the dance. It's to be enjoyed. That's that's how I, I take it. And the, the training that I've had in yoga is um, tantric. And that doesn't mean, you know, all these weird Kama Sutra sexual positions only. <laughs> <laughs> it, it means enjoy life, like enjoy being in the body. And I, I agree with that. And I think if we get too Atmani, there's bliss in that. There's total bliss, but we can also miss the balance with the physical. And I think a, an, a true alchemist who's worth worth their gold is going to be um, balancing the spiritual with the physical. Mm -hmm. So here's a question. So you have extensive training both in Western, the, the Western thought or the, the Western process with alchemy. Yeah. And sort of the now the Eastern aspect of enlightenment. Yes. Are they both the same goal? 100%. 100%. It's all the same thing. It's all one thing, right? And I think that each each path, each person can fall into different categories or different holes or different specifics that is not the whole picture say but if you look at like the yogic path or the taoist path they have a strong alchemical tradition mm -hmm. especially their the kriya yoga that's the path that i that i study i was so attracted to it because the siddhas from the southern you know tamil nadu they were they were making the stone they were making medicines you know kaya kalpa to prolong life and the Taoists have a tradition of the, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it because it's a Chinese word, but it's H-S-I-E-N, Xian, Xian, <laughs> something like that. Ting, and that, ting, ting. Pong, pong, pong. that's the golden body of immortality. Mm -hmm. And Tao, what is Taoism? It's all about balancing the opposites, the yin and the yang, which is what alchemy is all about. Mm -hmm. So I do see them as being very complementary disciplines and right. and cosmologies you know yeah i really think if you can master the physical that's really the entree to mastering the spiritual at least at least the the beings that i've uh, i've seen in my own life that have had more of the physical mastery they actually had it seemed like they had more capacity to control their mind and hmm. have, have discipline of mind how how do you see what are you defining as physical mastery just out of curiosity well hmm. you know i was a i i had i had a teacher that actually I had two teachers that had siddhas and for those who don't know what a siddha is a siddha siddhis right yeah sid depending on where you are in the world you know okay. they, they had siddhis plural um, but these are capacities. These would be uh, ex supernatural capacities. What we would call supernatural capacities, like like miracles kind of thing. Yeah, and but not even miracles. Like one of the ones I saw was levitation. And right. so in seeing levitation, that wasn't so miraculous. I mean, it was extraordinary. It would be to me. <laughs> <laughs> I know it exists, but I haven't witnessed it. I'd love to witness it firsthand. It was extraordinary. Um, and I've, that, it, it was enough to like hook me. It was enough to make me be like, 
<laughs> wow, I really have to listen to this person. So uh, there is that. But, but that's not physical. That's not physical mastery, though. Well, the person had other physical mastery. Like they, they had great, great body control in many different sports. I see. I see. Uh, they had the capacity to to pretty much fight in any capacity, like in in all these different modalities. Had tons of healing, uh, healing capacities also. So there, it wasn't. I'm I'm not saying this willy nilly. You know, this was like, <laughs> yeah me being exposed to very very high level athletes and then being around somebody like this for me to be really impressed is impressive so right. um but these people that had the capacity to do these things whether it was control the weather or whether it was to levitate um it wasn't something that they always had access to and they both said to me after these occurrences that they they felt it was in the realm of a satori it wasn't enlightenment it was like a glimpse it was it wasn't mm. it wasn't because of their will that that was occurring oh cool it's not the and it's not the end goal right this is not they're not the end goal right <clears throat> but these things did occur through them and they were very open about that it wasn't it wasn't until later times where the ego would attach to it and be like, Oh, look at what I did. <laughs> yeah. So the, the thing that the reason why I'm bringing this to alchemy and the, what always turned me on uh, about your descriptions of alchemy was that I kind of likened the alchemist, you know, when I grew up, they always showed the alchemist who was trying to transmute base metal into a precious metal. Right. That was like the, the thing. <laughs> yeah. But that's such a rudimentary way of looking at it. The way I always looked at it was like refinement to be able to get to that level of physical refinement. Yeah. Al always mirrored a consciousness refinement. Right. It always the mind, the mind is central to that. Like even even really the physical, like, first of all, you know, like how Buddha is Buddha says all is mind. Yes. Or, or better yet, the quote is better stated, I think, as everything is mine. Everything right. that is a thing, that is something, is, is mine. And he also says, which was the most profound moment in my life, literally in spiritual, in like spiritual cleanliness, he said, nothing is real. And the way I read it was, no thing is real. Ah, no thing. That's that's the exactly exactly hitting it on with the Atman. The no thing, that void that is beyond the mind's objectifying everything as objects and seeing things right. is the real thing. Exactly. Now, I I still think that this these manifestations are real. I, I think they're real. But they're not who we are. So the the identification with it as us as our, ourselves, I think is is incorrect. But I still think that like this body that I'm in, it's it's real to a certain degree. The the matter that I see around me, it's real, but it's not the true nature of reality. No, it's not the true nature of reality because it's temporal. Yes, that's right. It's temporal, so it's not. It doesn't have that is was and shall always be kind of nature right 
So that, back to your physical thing, I'm, I'm being a little nitpicky about this, but I, I think that those who have the physical mastery, I don't really think there's, there's like, okay, so athletic, I could see what you're saying, but all those other attributes, healing and like these other abilities you're talking about, that's not really physical mastery. I think people that are, that master the mind can ultimately master the body as well. Yeah, I, I I get that. And I know there's I know there's different paths and there's a million ways to skin a cat. What I'm trying to say is in my young life, my, yeah. through the purview of me being an athlete, uh -huh. what, what I always witnessed was people that had physical mastery had more discipline. There was something about them. So that that stated that that showed that they had a higher level of consciousness because i've i've met right. there hasn't been a very high high level of 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 like at least in in my realm of experience i have never witnessed somebody that was undisciplined having an extremely high level of consciousness they could mm -hmm. be they could be unkempt they could be a whole litany of things that to the world would seem Right. Like, oh, this person doesn't have it. But the one thing that I've noticed about everybody of a very high level of consciousness is they all have discipline. I I, I agree. I agree. And I, I, it's true for myself as well. Like when I'm very disciplined, my level of consciousness is so much more elevated than when I'm getting distracted. I'm not eating well, I'm not sleeping well, I'm not taking care of myself. Right. So I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. So in that, what I noticed in, is, especially in my younger life was the people, because the discipline shows dedication. And I think this is an interactive medium that we live in. This world, this temporal reality that we live in is interactive. And what you put into it, it will give back. Like, it's like, it's like, here you go. All right. And so right. when you show discipline, you have dedication. And then if you have dedication, a lot of times it's because you have love. <laughs> you know, there's, right. some, there's something in you that has love. And that love then, you know, it just pulls everything. It, it, it creates the, the push, the drive, the impetus for whatever the, the greater plan for you is. Yeah, for that devotion. Right. It reminds me of very, very appropriate um topic i i had a friend i haven't I haven't spoken to her in a number of years she kind of went off the left deep end <laughs> uh, with the whole covid thing and everything and um but she was sort of at one point in her life she was kind of channeling this angelic being she wasn't sure what it was and it basically told her that from their realm in the higher heavens, they can see the devotion that somebody has around their heart. Mm -hmm. They see it as a field of multiple beautiful colors. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar to the, to the light of love that they also perceive. So, so you're, I, 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 uh, corroborating with you in what you're saying. It's true. Mm -hmm. Devotion is huge. Yeah. Yeah. And Dedication, being discipline. Here's the three Ds: discipline, exactly. devotion, and dedication. That is the three D reality that we live in. At least that's what I experience because I've especially noticed as of late. And I, <laughs> I, I'm not going to jump to it yet, but I want to circle back to it. I I feel especially in the last few years that with those three Ds, the three D reality, for me, it's like instant 
manifestation. Mm. It's like an in instantaneous, like, okay, this is what you've been giving your attention to. This is what you've been dedicated to. This is, this is, here it is. Yeah. Yeah. There's right. No, there's right. A, there's no longer a lag. Have you been experiencing that? A hundred percent. Like I, <clears throat> a few months ago, I had a, uh, an alchemy binge where I was breathing, thinking, meditating, studying. I was absorbing. I, I remember. <laughs> I was absorbing book after book and I was so devoted and, and dedicated. And there was nothing else that the mysteries, the veil of mysteries, which is very thick in alchemy when you're reading the books, it was open and I was witnessing I was, I was understanding. And then I kind of fell off. I, I, I decided I had to get back into the world a little bit. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I did that, I actually went and looked at the same materials and I didn't grasp them as much anymore. Like I had the, the intellectual memory of what I got from it, but it didn't, it wasn't alive for me to the same degree. And, and now I'm kind of more of a balance between the two, like, cause I have the world that I live in, you know, family and practice and the farm and all that stuff. And then there's alchemy. So it's not, it's not all, it's, it's a little more balanced. So I have, I still have that vibe going on, but it's not to the same degree. And I think it, to have success in alchemy, it wouldn't hurt to be that crazy person that is just devoted to alchemy. Oh, the few that I've read about, they weren't family men. <laughs> no, <laughs> they they weren't talking about you know taking the kid down to grandma's for Christmas. Uh, there was none of that going on. Right, right, and you know what the the path of the householder. I, I don't blame yogis for not doing that. Like for an alchemist for staying away from that path, it's very challenging to be a householder and to have kids and to do these, these spiritual things. It's not impossible. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Sri Aurobindo. Yeah. He wrote a book called, um, uh, practical alchemy. Is it? That's not what it's called. Uh, no, sorry. No practical yoga. Uh, no, that's not what it is. It's uh, okay. It'll come to me. I'll, I'll get that name of the book. It's basically how to apply, how to apply the yogic path in doesn't matter what the hell you're doing. You could be a machinist. And you could be practicing yoga. You're just being, you're just a practice. You're practicing the principles of yoga. So there's nothing stopping you from doing that with your kids. And in fact, I would say kids promote that integral yoga. Integral That's yoga. Yeah. Integral okay. yoga, Sri Aurobindo. And it's just basically, it's a little bit of a, I didn't find it very inspiring to read. It's a little dry. It's not my favorite book, but the principle is very sound. Mm -hmm. Sri Aurobindo, that's it. Yeah. So, yeah, we can we can do we can be spiritual people no matter what we're doing. You don't need to like be in a cave or in a yoga class with like I, soft music playing. I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying it coming back from the whole notion of dedication, right? Yeah. So when you have a love partner and you have kids, there's there's tremendous dedication to them. It almost seems like that it like in it in this path and you can correct me if it, it I'm wrong all the the nannies and the yogis the the enlightened folk that I had studied 
the majority of them that were were not in in they weren't consciously coupled let's say <laughs> um and if they were they were within a they were within a cultural context that supported it you know in a time that supported it like the the western world in this moment now there's a lot going on <laughs> And for me, I don't have the desire for enlightenment. It's kind of funny. I, for the longest time, I thought I had the desire for enlightenment. But for me, because I had identified as being on the path of Nana, like being, yeah. an, being an intellectual, that's what Nana means for those who don't know. And so, but in, re, in reality, my path is really one of service. Hmm. I really love being a bhakti. And that's devotional. Exactly. That the bhakti is the devotional. That's and cool. And in, 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 in the bhakti, I I like I, I love you. So I'm always enthralled with like all the different things that, that you get into. And I, and then I have my own musings on it and stuff like that. It's like, Oh yeah. And you know, there's juice in it. And I, and I, <laughs> my ego likes me to identify as somebody that's knowledgeable, <laughs> but everything I learned, I've, I've come to know that it ends up being false anyway. Like I have to let it go. I have to drop mm. it. Hmm. The the big thing for me that I've been getting into and really, really understanding now since having family and child and all this is what do I actually take with me? What is me? It's the, the whole, you know, who am I question, right? Yeah. The, what is this continuity that, you know, has the, these, you know, sequential experiences as it as as perceived mm -hmm. and, I, and i say that very specifically um and i find for for my being like when i actually like re when i tune into it the i am is actually fueled through di devotion for me it's not fueled through knowledge hmm mm-hmm Interesting. I, I can see that. I, I, you know, when I was studying yoga, I didn't really understand the bhakti path. Uh, I understand devotion. I understand service. But for me, the highest thing was the nana yoga, which was self. For, you're calling it intellect. And I agree with that, but not not intellectual the way we think of intellectual in the West. It's it's the application of philosophy towards the one question. Who am I? That's really what. Mm -hmm. Janana yoga, I don't know how to pronounce that. Nana yoga. Nana. It's, nana. Yeah, it's self-inquiry. And what I came to understand is that every single aspect of yoga, from the asanas, the positions, the pranayama, the bandhams, the, 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 the seed mantras, everything is to just prepare somebody for that self-inquiry. Mm -hmm. Um and I think it's funny because I, I see that, but then I also see these people that are on these bhakti, the bhakti path of devotion. And that could be devotion to a certain deity, to a guru, you know, like it's just some kind of devotion. That devotion is very close to love and love is God. So that's awesome. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Why not? It's great.
<laughs> yeah, and I think people are so wired so differently. I think that once again, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat. So there's, yeah. you know, gradients within Nana, there's gradients within Bhakti. I was just like in, in a moment of self-reflection of being on the path for, you know, 20 years is just like, what actually causes the the lack of when i say ego i don't want to make it sound like i think the ego is bad i think the ego is a necessary thing but let's just say the the self-identification the, the, mm. self, the, the selfishness and for me the bhakti path the the path of devotion um i just it the 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 clearing the the lack of stragglers of you know all these samskaras in the mind the the uh lack of or the uh, dissolution of actual um tension in the body you know i could do yoga for like an hour and a half and still have tension in the body but if i really like like the other day we did a work, we did this uh, work, it was quote unquote work party, but we were helping this guy move his family into his house. Yeah. He doesn't have much money, you know, needed help. So a bunch yeah. of dudes went over there and just helped bang out a ton of work that would have cost, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And I, w I was sort of like the newbie in the scene. So I was just the gopher. I was just hauling heavy shit all day. Yeah. Within a few hours, I was that the happiest clam you've ever seen. Because devotion is is an act of selflessness, right? So you transcend that lower self where all suffering starts. The identification with the lower self. That's very well said. And so, to me, I mean, I've messed around with all these techniques with yoga and meditation, <laughs> and you know, knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> and I just have to say, like, if I can, if I can really just give without any need of receiving, that for me clears clears my field. It and clears chakras. Yeah, and the and the cool thing with that is, like, I have had enough experiences of the zone of like when I get in the. I I think the zone is a spiritual experience. I wanted to ask you about this because you were an athlete also the, what the zone was for me was i never even knew i was in the zone and in, in until retrospect right right until you <laughs> out of it, right and then i'd i'd be like oh my god i just did something absolutely wonderful without but there was no me there to identify while it was occurring so it was totally just, effortless and it's mindless right exactly and so that i mean geez my best performances and you know obviously that's why they call it the zone because you know that's pretty much universal is when there isn't identification there isn't a personal identification that's going on there is just genius that's occurring spontaneously and that spon that spontaneous genius that occurs to me is the touch of god that's like when you're when whatever interference patterns that are locked in your body aren't there, then God's, you know, through the, through the Shashumna, you have this energy and you just perform. Yeah. And you perform at the peak of the capacity of that physical being. 
Yeah. And some people, you know, the miracles per se, perform past the quote unquote capacity of that body. Right. You know, and then you just have something absolutely exceptional occurred. And I knew after my football career, I had talked to a lot of former athletes and the depression that most pro athletes have after they're done with their, their, their career is that they don't get to experience the zone. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, I totally get that. You know, some, anything really intense could, could, um, push one towards the zone. So this makes me think of the alchemical crucible. I want to talk to you. Have you ever read, um, I forget who wrote it. It was called creating Superman. It was about, they say one of the key components to the zone is, is, uh, high stakes situations, dangerous situations. That's like the people that do the squirrel suits. They're not just adrenaline junkies. It's literally like the highest stakes thing possible. Right. You do right. one little mess up and you're dead. You're dead. <laughs> but yeah. the people that do it at a high level, they always get better. Like they get better so quickly because there is the entire time one you're in this incredible perception bubble, but at the same time, it's so dangerous. Yeah. And so well, your death is on the line. And what better thing? Because what happens when we die is that this temporary vessel that we're inhabiting is gone most people don't take enough time to think about that that at some point you're going to die and the everything that you think you are is going to be gone so when you're right on the edge you're right on the cutting edge with death like you could die well then that's the portal for life to come in it's for god life right that's an awesome way of putting it what would be the metaphor in alchemy with that? Like with the, with the crucible, is it the crucible? Like when you're, I've heard people say like when you're in really high stakes situations, you're in the crucible. Is there. Well, a- death is a very big principle in alchemy. It's, it's huge in, in order for something to be reborn. And this is very Christian Christ kind of metaphor too. It has to first die. And I was just well, uh, listening to Manly P. Hall. He has some very interesting talks on, uh, like, he sounds like those men, those men, they all sounded the exact same in like the 40s and 50s. We come here today to talk to you about mm-hmm. the situation. And they all sound exactly the same. I don't know if it was the microphone technology. Anyway, so Manly P. Hall, he, in, in that kind of a voice, he talks about alchemy. And one of the things that he said, which, which I was like, yes. He's absolutely right about that. In order for the alchemist to make the philosopher's stone, the alchemist must be reborn. That doesn't say first die because you're not like you're not like dead in the ground, but you're dead to your ego. There's a moment in time when the ego identification dies, and that's that's the that's enlightenment. Hmm. And, and actually. I was I was going to say I feel the same way about enlightenment. I used to desire enlightenment uh, so much. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I desired enlightenment so much that I almost died when this is this weaves back to what we were saying before. When I found out that my my wife was pregnant, and I thought my life was over, I, I incepted myself that my life is over. What I all my dreams, my desire is over, and I literally 
acceleratedly went towards almost dying. So I desired, I desired enlightenment then because I did, I only had a concept of it in my mind. It was like all flowery and like, I am going to be all knowing. I, I was all identifying my ego as being the enlightened one. Mm -hmm. Only when I fully grasp what enlightenment actually entails, which is the death of the identification of the ego, the seeing beyond the ego, the ego doesn't get any slice of the pie per se. Mm. It wants that, it wants that, that pie, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have the same relationship with desiring enlightenment. In fact, I kind of like, I tiptoe towards it, like going, okay, I think I might do this, but I don't know if I really want to, but I do, you know, of course, all that's the ego too. So, so death, death is a big thing in alchemy. It's huge. And so the, the alchemist must die to what they think they are and be reborn. Mm -hmm. And the matter itself, when you have your matter, cause it's, you have your, your uniting opposites. And when they unite, they kill each other in the unification and it dies. It's called the negredo stage, the black stage, the biochar phase. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to throw that in there. So, that, very, very fun. Very fun. Um, yeah, the black stage is the stage of death, and only like you will never get to the red stone unless you first get to the black stage. Was there? This is a funny thing. Did you like the whole Star Trek reboot? The like with that. The Star Trek, like all the recent movies, kind of thing. Yeah, like the one that they rebooted in two thousand nine, and they had. Spock yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that guy. I like that guy. Yeah, I thought that was Those, really good. Yeah. Did you Did you get gooseies when you saw them with the red matter? Were Was that an alchemical? I don't remember that, <clears throat> bro. You're bringing up the red matter. They literally would take a <laughs> one little drop of this red matter, and it stopped all time it would reverse time if oh. they if they put it into something that had matter it would collapse it to nothing if they put oh. it if, if they put it into no matter it created something is it is 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 that the thing that created the worlds no no that's like the that's old school that's like 80s star trek no th this is <laughs> okay. in the, this is 2009 when they redid the reboot with you know the, yeah. the new kirk and the new spock and everything they took the thing I liked about it was that there was this substance called red matter in the Vulcans, haha, Vulcans. They, they ah. had, exactly, they had perfected how to how to actually encapsulate this red matter, and this red matter ends up becoming this. They there was a mis, there was some sort of mishap or something like that, and it was stolen and. Uh, a rival used that to actually implode the planet Vulcan. Oh yeah. Okay. I remember that vaguely. That's very alchemical. Right. Because yeah. Like if you misuse the like the actual, the philosopher's stone is also called the fire stone. And if you misuse the fire stone, you'll die. Basically. Like there's a story, the saddest story. It just it wrenches at my heart when I think about it. There was an alchemist. He was an old guy. He had been he'd been striving for the stone his whole life. He finally makes the stone. 
but he took it. He didn't understand how to take it properly. I don't know why he didn't understand that, but he didn't. And he died. It killed him. It's tragic. Tragic. So there's tremendous power in this. And I could see like, I don't know what the red matter is, but I could see some analogies there to alchemy for sure. Yeah. And because I've also, you know, in my studies of the Antiquitech stuff, you know, that's like really my my juice. I love that stuff. They talk about this red mercury. Is there a correlation between red mercury and the red matter? Um, if I, I, I looked into that a little bit, I even bought those old so those old sewing machines to see if I could find some red mercury. Yeah. I think it's a bit of a hoax that whole thing um, with the with the, the tight like the old um, sewing machines. Maybe it exists in some fashion. Like it doesn't have a reflection. It's sort of, you think of kind of like vampire lore. So, but there are connections here to be made with the red with the red mercury. So the red mercury, it's it has all these cool properties like levitation and like you can't you can't see it in the mirror. So. It's like a vampire. Vampires are a mirror reflection of the Christ. Mm -hmm. So vampires drink blood to live forever. They're they're immortal undead. And Christ is the immortal philosopher's stone. His blood is the philosopher's stone. And, you know, the, the vampire is cursed of Christ. And the, the cross is like, you know, to the vampire. So they're, they're, these are mirror opposites. So there's something... It, there's something about the red mercury, if it is real, that might be a little bit in the dark spectrum of things, possibly. I don't know. Hmm. I, I don't know. That's totally just throwing something out there as a possibility. I don't know if that's true. I'm not I, I'm not sure red mercury truly exists, to be honest. Okay. Not, yeah, yeah. Everything that I had read and seen, they were speculating about yeah. red mercury. Yeah. And, yeah. and like the videos and stuff, when you see people doing it, it's, it's kind of... It's a little hoaxy, I think, the, those videos. Mm -hmm. you know? would, in some of these antiquitech structures at the top where they would have these beautiful copper roofs and then they would have these balls, they would have what would look like, like a little bell tower, but they're like these little bell towers. And then as far as I could tell, they had some sort of glass vase, some sort of vessel you know, it could have been crystalline or glass, but it was transparent on the out. It was transparent. And then the speculation was that there was some sort of liquid. And this reminds me a lot of the electrocultura that you're doing, especially putting your mojo cell up on the top. Yeah. Of this beautiful, you know, it posts how, how, how high is your mojo cell up in it's the It's about air? 23 feet high. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine all throughout Europe, in the south like where they would have these buildings that you know these little mini spires with yeah. their a little electrocultura whatever right up there you know at 40 50 feet of potential difference i know and especially if it's that that's not well even if it is earth grounded the, the magic would happen in the earth but i would i would suspect that they would have some potential difference there so that it was sky hooked up and, and not earth grounded well the cross like i've seen i'll send you plans that i've seen elevations of some of these buildings when they were tearing them down yeah those spires were grounded through a cistern and more than oh. one of them 
Interesting. So they would have the cistern down in the basement. The cistern would be hooked up to some sort of waterway, you know, some sort of underground Whoa. water water but system. It's charging the water with with that energy. Ding 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 ding, dude. That's cool, man. Yeah, That's super and, cool. Yeah. So I I think there was. In, let me ask you your opinion. Do you think one that his the history that we've been given has been been you know pretty much fabricated like the like the big points like the way yeah. i the way i look at it is is like if we've been lied to about where we're at we've been lied to about when we're at <laughs> and everything important we've been lied to about everything you know one of the things that covid did for me is like i've always been into the conspiracy theories and i hate that word because it's stupid. It was, it was, you know, it was designed to throw people off looking into the, uh, the JFK assassination. Right. You know, so you label someone, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. So you could just like, you could just like shun them. But um, I've been into it for a long time, but only when COVID started, did I realize how deeply entrenched the powers that be are in all aspects of our life, all aspects. Yeah, especially out in the world at large, politics, economy, like the banking system, the medical system, mm -hmm. history. They have to have tampered with it. They have to they present history and, and, all, and science like God, it's the, they have infiltrated all aspects. Science is like the things that people are studying in you know in the phd world is it's just so it's so uninteresting and useless mm -hmm. compared to what people that are like like you know in their garages or just in their own individual selves are looking into these different aspects of the cosmos so i think i think it has to be really tampered with just because everything that we have is specially um packaged so that we a don't realize our divinity that's the whole globe earth thing you know like oh we're just a speck of dust floating around aimlessly through space mm -hmm. and we came about by this coalescent of coalescent of ga gases and then the first little creature crawled out of the sea and then we evolved from that little creature like that's what is trying to take away the divine origin of creation mm -hmm. So everything and look at look at the schools now. Like God is a dirty word in in the schools now. But yet you can reassign your your gender. Right, right. <laughs> I was gonna, I was going to say that you you beat me to it. Yeah. So I you know I'm not in I'm not as into it or as as I haven't put as many hours into looking at the the historical aspect of things in in the way you do like the whole mud floods like you yeah. You, so introduce me to that and you introduced me to flat earth which i'm deeply and uh, grateful for um thank you well the the reason why i ask you this is because i know spiritually that i come from dignified i come from a dignified lineage and when i look at the antiquitech what that does for me is it it's a corroboration in my mind that 
we can't we're not evolving <laughs> you know if, if the if mass science wants to say we're evolving we're devolving if it wants to say we're in the new world we're in the old world like everything now is inverted it's inverted that's the whole orwellian thing that's going on right and so for me i look at the antiquitech and i got into the antiquitech after i had my own insights as a builder I didn't That's get cool. into the Antiquitech being like, oh, I'm new to the game. Like I got into the Antiquitech because I'm building beehive domes and I'm running these coils of barbed wire within these beehive domes. And I'm like, hey, this is just like a big earth ground battery. Why, why can't, why can't, why, why can't this just run the, the house? house? the house right like that that was an insight i had on the hill on the side of costa rica like you know with no internet or no nothing that was just like huh yeah and so it just made it makes sense to me and then i got into i got into oven building like thermal mass heaters and rocket stoves and all this type of stuff and then when, when I had a couple clients ask me to build them fireplaces and then i was looking into conventional fireplace designs and i'm like why would you ever build a fireplace? These are dog shit. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so inefficient. You're getting what do you get? Like maybe 20, 30% of the, the the heat that is emitted from that fuel. Right. Right. And plus you're using a ton of fuel and it's not like the gasification of the wood isn't cra and all this stuff. So then when I see these guys are you know doing these crosscuts of these, you know, quote unquote fireplaces in these old victorian homes and stuff like that and they're like oh these things were a nightmare to clean they were terrible at you know burning wood in and yet you would go into some of these places with fireplaces and there was no char marks there was no soot there was nothing that would indicate that there was a a, a wooden fire going on and these were the same buildings that would have, you know, your mojo cells up at the top and would yeah. be grounding them down into a cistern down in the basement. And there was some liquid inside of that. Exactly. So I'm like, ah, oh, they're using resistive heating because in all of these Victorian homes where they're showing the, the fireplaces, they had two plates of metal that were within four inches of each other, but they never touched. And there was nothing within the flue pipe or the, the exit pipe, the exhaust pipe that had any way of conducting any charge from one side to the other. And then in, in reading about bioelectricity, they talk about red brick, right? And how red brick, uh, which is, I believe it's aluminum silicate and, yeah. uh, and, iron, iron, and iron, iron oxide. Iron oxide. Yeah. Well, that has a really neat quality to it because when it when it does heat up, it actually emits a, a secondary energy to it. It's almost piezoelectric. Ah. Almost all of these these Victorian homes that had these crazy fireplaces had the red. They were all red brick lined. Hmm, that's cool. Yeah. So all this stuff is so neat to me and it just points to like we lived in a much more alchemical world we lived in a world where like your line of of science the being a naturopathic doctor that was the norm that's that's what that's how people healed 
Right. That they knew they knew nature. They understood nature. Yeah, because it is nature. It's not disconnected. There isn't a meter to run all this shit. We were living in like this, like this absolutely abundant medium. And all the medium requests is that you biomimic it. <laughs> By the way, those two plates that you're talking about, I don't know if that's how they were using it, but it makes me think of electroculture. So one of the things that we do in electroculture is you tap into the sky potential and you have earth grounded wires going running through the, your bed subterraneanly, right? And then that causes a very slow, nice flow of ions along the wire, which water and nutrients and healthy fungi and bacteria follow and you have your healthy soil right there. Mm -hmm. But another thing you can do is you can have an earth plate grounded earth and then you can have a sky plate and you can put your plant right in between the two and it just will soak up all that energy right in between mm. so that so there would be something even though there's i mean you're not going to have a 100,000 volt uh electric potential there but there is a flow through the through the through the atmosphere between that the plant will absorb would you use copper like what's your what's is there a a better metal I like copper. I like copper for the earth ground. It's more feminine. I like uh, iron for the 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 sky because it's it's a uh, it's fiery masculine. Mars, Mars. It's total fire. It's, yeah, it's masculine. It's pure pure masculine. Uh -huh. uh, but you could use any metal, anything that conducts. You know, all metals will transmit uh, the these life force energies. Are they but, like it? Well, hold on. Any metal, because like, is it like orgone, where if you have aluminum, it kind of blo it blocks the the orgone? Yeah, or uh, aluminum will still channel the energy. Like you can still use it as a conductor, um, but if you want to contain orgone, you would use aluminum. Or if you want to block it, you would lose use aluminum. It does block, as far as I understand. And you don't want to use copper inside of an orgone accumulator. That's a bad scene. It, it creates bad energy. It doesn't feel good. And um, uh, James DeMeo of the Orgone, what's his name? He's got the, the Wilhelm Reich Institute or something of Orgone Research. James DeMeo, he, he's published several articles of, of studies with copper. Like you don't want that in your Orgone accumulator. But if you, if you were to make just a pyramid with copper, that's different because you're not accumulating the Orgone in it. You're using it as a metallic, uh, frame, so that's fine. Every Did metal I, has a different quality, though. You, you, and and I think there's so much to be discovered in that. What metals we can use for what, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we started off talking about this pyramid that you built yourself. Could you elaborate on the type of masonry that you yeah. you, you built? The did you use casing stones made out of out of geopolymers? Um, that, that was a joke, you Taurus. <laughs> <laughs> you were so like dead man. I don't get jokes all the time too. You're like, I know. <laughs> that was a joke, you Taurus. Why do Taurus is not understand jokes or something? I don't just all the time. Not my joke. You'll, you'll appreciate this. Look at my little copper shovel. Lovely. Lovely. Yeah. Willie, uh, Schalberger will be very proud of you. Yeah, I have I have a friend that's like making all these farming implements and he sent me this. So 
That's cool. Apparently, when you dig and you have a copper shovel, it just goes in a lot easier and it doesn't wound the land as much. So you see copper is more harmonious with the earth. And I think the sky, you want like iron. Anyway, so what what were you asking me? Oh, yeah. the, the Okay, so basically what I, I was studying... When I got really sick and almost died, I couldn't work. And I, I basically, that was another time of binging on a lot of studies in alchemy. So I was studying the pyramids. So one of the simple facts of the pyramids is that there's a power magnetic um, granite on the outside. Mm -hmm. And on the inside was limestone, which is diamagnetic. Yes. So you want some kind of paramagnetic and diamagnetism. One of the uh, one of the big gurus, one of the forebears of electroculture, his name is uh, Philip S. Callahan, and he has a book called Paramagnetism. And it, it's a very simple book, but it's got a very beautiful principle that that farmers don't realize how important paramagnetism is because it channels in the positive aspect of the magnetic flux. So, you know, galvanic forces moving along the towards the north uh, star, the north pole, uh, the center of the, the the north magnetism. It's actually south, right? It's the south, but it's the north pole. So these these things are flowing, but there's negative magnetism and positive magnetism, and the plants don't get much positive magnetism around because they're very they're very negatively grounded. They get the negative. So when you get um, when you use basalt, basalt is is an example of a paramagnetic substance. You channel in all this positive uh, magnetism, and the plants just soak it up. Bro, you, do you think that's why Costa Rica was so paramagnetic because of all the volcanoes there? Uh, yeah, it could it could very well be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I I can't say for sure, but I think it, it's a, a distinct possibility. So if you look at there's pictures of trees growing right out of rocks, mm -hmm. right? You've seen those. Yeah. You've seen trees. They don't have soil. They're feeding off of the paramagnetic energy of, of the rock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I built my pyramid. The outside is basically I, I maximize the amount of basalt uh, powder that I could put in there. So it's crushed stone and, and some small mesh rocks, nothing bigger than like, maybe like a quarter inch, you know, mm -hmm. and then I, I, I use a little bit of uh, Portland cement and I, I use my swirler water. So structured water and I put in major prayer and intention that's on the outside. I got about maybe three quarters of an inch thick. It's heavy as heck. Like, yes. <laughs> it's so heavy. Um, and then the inside I, I created plasterite. And plasterite is way cool. It's made basically with plaster of Paris, which is calcium sulfate. That's very diamagnetic. And then you could mix all kinds of crystal stuff and you could put magnetite in that, even though that's more ferromagnetic, mm -hmm. but it still it enhances the effect. It, it didn't take away the effect. So that's just the structure. And then there's the orient. You want to orient to the north. So what the you want to have your you know, your sides of your pyramid totally north facing so that the front is is also like flat to it. You know what I mean? Like square mm -hmm. to it. And then I, you, I think to have earth ground in your pyramid is very good. Mm -hmm. And then you, you tap into the sky potential. That's incredible. So you use it. You said you use an eight foot rod to to ground that out. 
Yeah, I hammered an eight foot rod exactly. Ah, that must it be- went in like butter. Jeez, I I don't know. So check this out. You'll you'll appreciate this because you're a nerd. In Thank Costa Rica, you. where I was living, the soil there is extremely paramagnetic. It's essentially bauxite clay, like straight bauxite clay. Cool, cool. And um, so I was in my development, we were putting in this massive electrical system where the the electrical company had to come in, put in a transformer and I, and they have to ground out their transformers. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, how do you guys ground? Cause you know, when we test ground with just putting these crappy little poles in, in the, in the earth, yeah, they're like, Oh, that's not sufficient. Well, give me, give me the tippet. Like, tell me, tell me your tricks. So what they yeah. do is they bore an eight inch hole in the ground where they're going to put their grounding rods and they backfill it with calcium bentonite clay and sand really to to create a, a better earth ground a better earth ground and i that is so cool and i shit you not it works so we, so is calcium bentonite clay with with sand with a white silica sand and we did that and we grounded out the main structure on the on the building and we had ground because the oh. box the bauxite clay and i told you this but in the with massaging it was near impossible for me yeah. to find ground, just just walking barefoot. That there, is so cool. It makes me think like the clay clay again is aluminum. Exactly. Uh, so it's got a lot of ionic potential there to really connect to to spread that charge out a lot easier than just going into soil because soil, especially if it's dry, it doesn't conduct very well. Right. Um. Right. If you if you want me to show a picture of my electroculture setup, please. Uh, would you let me share my screen for a sec? Yeah, I go to share. Uh, okay, so this is the Mojo Cell. It's all bright and shiny and stuff. And basically, I have all kinds of weird antenna here with different substances. I have, uh, you know, like your chicken wire, galvanized steel. I have copper. I have different lengths for different frequencies. I just did a mishmash and all of these things are connected to this part here, which goes, which is isolated electrically from the outer ball. This goes through the center ball down, right down into the earth. This is when I was making it. And when I actually installed it, it looks like, um, that's another view of that. It looks like this. It's up at the top there. You see how high that is? Yes. So, so that's my my beautiful guy and i i mean we have we had such incredible bumper crops this this is only our first year every year of electroculture um will augment until around year five or six when it will just sort of plateau at that level but it'll stay at that high fifth six year level so um basically if you zoom right in here with me there's a little thingy here can you see the little thing sticking out yeah i can yeah. So that's where I attach my wire to the outer ball. So the wire that goes to the, 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 the cap, like the cap in, in the pyramid. So it's not earth grounded. And I didn't want it to be earth grounded because I wanted that potential of my body to sit between the potential of the positive sky and the negative earth. 
That's what I wanted. When you made your pyramid, is the dimensions of your pyramid is the actual like where the king's chamber be, where your heart is? Um yeah, it's not far from that. It wouldn't be far from that. I think it's like one third up is right. the king's chamber. Um height wise, it, yeah, that it's not far from that place. Yeah. So that's it. I, that's all I wanted to show. Um, I just want awesome. to, yeah, man. Yeah. Do you have any, cool. do you have any pictures of your pyramid? Um, I'm not sure. I'd have to dig around a little bit. I, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time digging around at this, this time, but, uh, I'll, maybe if I can find some, you could put it up on the podcast if, if you could do that. Yeah. I would love that. You That'd know, be cool. Get rid of the gray beards and just have this beautiful pyramid. Yeah. yeah, so we might be building a big ass pyramid together down in Costa. Is that going to happen? You think? It all depends if the county will uh, give us more building space. Um, the, we're going to have to we're going to have to talk design though, bud, because my little teeny pyramid is so freaking heavy; it's ridiculous. And yeah. I think if you're going to have a big structure with walls that are that heavy, I I think we're going to have to talk about some kind of different engineering there different oh no, no no i've already engineered the 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 metal structure that would hold everything really yeah 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 i've uh, i've already submitted those as plans <laughs> what i'm saying though is that okay so i poured all this concrete and the wall is probably around 150 to 200 pounds each mm -hmm. But is that necessary? Can we do it in an easier way with paramagnetism, a, a light, a different way of doing the paramagnetism, a different way of doing the diamagnetism? So we check it. Out. So check it out. Um, I don't know if you know this, but when I went to the Geopolymer Institute in France, I went there to learn how to make. Now I now I can say it: paramagnetic limestone. Because he has a he has a geopolymer he had a geopolymer recipe that he said was for bauxite clay, and that was a whole reason why I went. And he hmm. and he didn't he failed to tell all of us that went there for that recipe that you could only get the one binding agreement from like North Korea. It was this stuff called in in high quantities. It's called natrone from North Korea. It, it was something absurd. It was like this one ingredient that made the whole thing tick. Wow. O only the military had because of where, where you actually sourced it. And I've brought up the term natron before and other people seem to know what it is. I don't know what natron is, but that was like the, the key catalyst to cause a, geopol a geopolymeric reaction with bauxite clay. Cool. And I so was, that's what you're saying. I was so pissed. Because it's like, because I went there to learn how to make it, but like you in, uh, let's say to have ethical integrity. Like if you know, if you're like, okay. Right, right. Like he knew I was a budget guy. I was a, I was a earth bag builder from Costa Rica, spending all my money to come see him in France for a recipe. There's no way I'm going to be able to like, buy natrone at any quantity and make the substance right and he was he was overselling what 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 it could be done you know 
Yeah. But sodium carbonate, sodium carbonate de decahydrate. That's natron. Are you talking about natron? I don't know. It he he was French and he would pronounce it natron. Oh, it's probably natron, sodium carbonate de decahydrate. Yeah. That that would be uh diamagnetic, I would think. Um but the main and, thing that the I was going there to learn the red clay, the red clay mix. Because yeah. his whole contention was he had figured out in the 70s that the the majority of the internal stones of the pyramids were cast and they were a geopolymer. Right, right. I remember Yeah. That. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he and he was able to show, like, you know, there's all this this stuff. There's all these writings that say, oh, the sea levels were once higher, and that's why there's all these shells in the in the in the in the limestone there. And he's like, no, that coquina that was used is very prevalent in the Nile River. They would make fly ash out of the forest that was once close to the to the pyramids. They would mix it with these massive uh, calcium um, bentonite clay uh, things that were just north of there and then they would mix that with the silica sand and then that was their mix for creating the geopolymer hmm. which is which has withstood thousands of years it's amazing right. well his whole like the, the way he the way he explained it and this is kind of cool he was saying that the net like what we when we make concrete now it's an alkaline process it's an alkalizing process and he was saying that the, with the geopolymers, it was actually an acidifying process. Okay. And because it was acidifying, it had greater longevity. Okay. Interesting. I, I, I can't comment on that, but it sounds, that's cool. That's some cool knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, let, let me, let me ask you, let, let's, let's maybe go back to some topic that, because I feel like we're getting into some really nerdy details that are like, for you and me to discuss when we like discuss our building and, and everything. I, uh, I don't know if, I don't know how many people are going to be interested in hearing what we're ha what we're talking about right now. Maybe, maybe some other nerdy, nerdy uh, people. Well, the reason why I bring it up is because the main thing that we're talking about here that I'm really enjoying is paramagnetic diamagnetic how yeah. these energies work on us and i feel like i'm an expert energetically with paramagnet paramagnetism because of costa rica huh. and i've literally had to build buildings where i i've had to fight the paramagnetism i've had to create diamagnetic wells <laughs> to be able to ground things out i in in working with people with my hands having to like learn how to actually use all these raja yoga techniques of creating a remote ground <laughs> so i could ground out you know that's cool yeah because you can't ground like when you walk on the ground there you're not going to ground there's no grounding there that's why people go nuts oh that's so interesting because because it's so paramagnetic it's, it's so paramagnetic it's got that positive aspect. Well, and yeah. Plus the moon. And it, this is so cool because this ties back to your alchemy thing. So you're saying, like, we were talking about the, the sun earlier. Talk about the moon and paramagnetism. Well, 
That's that's a good question. I can't. Can you start me off on that? I don't know the connection between the moon and paramagnetism. So that book that you mentioned by the author that that book paramagnetism. I read yeah, that. Yeah. You know, because I was living on biodynamic farms, like that was like reading one hundred and one. And yeah. that author, he talks about the moon is paramagnetic. Oh, does he? Yeah. And I. Callahan. Callahan says the moon. Yeah, yeah. Philip Callahan. You know what? I I don't know. I don't know. I don't. See, I don't get a very important vibe about the moon being paramagnetic. I don't. It doesn't resonate as important to me. Maybe I'm missing something. Um, well, is the sun diamagnetic? The sun is diamagnetic, correct? I have no idea. I don't. I don't know if I would attribute that quality at all to the sun or the moon. I don't know if that's what if if we could even attribute that. Like, you know, when I read when I read Philip Callahan's book, he 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 has some really nice wisdom of nature, but he doesn't. He was he doesn't really know what he's talking about in in ways like he's just throwing concepts out there. But I don't know if he was they were all very well verified. Well, there's other I can use other sources. So there is a notion that the light that comes from the moon in and of itself, the moon emanates its own light. It doesn't ref reflect sunlight. That type of light is uh, it's a septic light. So. And of course, the sunlight septic? is in septic. It will, like it, it promotes uh, degradation. It, it it promotes an actual um, like, like oh yeah, like putrefaction. Exactly. Great. Like a breakdown. Yeah. Right. Where the sun being the sun actually gives an antiseptic light. And. That's yeah, like that's why you put your clothes out in in the sunlight, and the, the you all the different rays that are coming from the sun will actually totally wipe your your clothes of bacteria. So, the I believe I read this from uh, Sophia Smallstorm. Have you heard of Sophia Smallstorm? Um, no. She's an excellent researcher. So she did this whole this whole expose on um, the the whole way the skies are being modified through, uh -huh. through high atmospheric um, aerosol spraying. So she got she started talking about the different types of light that that we receive from these luminaries that are close to us. The antiseptic light of the of the sun is considered diamagnetic. The septic light of the moon is considered paramagnetic. And there's this there's this thing that occurs to like, you know, when they say it's a full moon outside, there's probably there's obviously spiritual things that are going on. Yeah. But on the physical side of things, what I would feel when I would do full moon hikes is exactly what your description of paramag paramagnetism is. I felt like I was, there was a pressure that was internal that was being pushed in every direction. Mm -hmm. It was like every direction. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. And that was well, no, Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to share my screen here. Please Because I, I have the Callahan, um, I have the Callahan um, picture that we're talking about. So great. One second. I'm just going to bring this up. 
Okay, it's right here. So here's the picture that you're talking about. Like, um, basically showing that the sun, it, the sun emanates positive and negative magnetism. The tree being negative itself will absorb the positive or the north. He's calling it the north pole of the of the magnetism of the sun here. I'm sorry, when I mouse over it, it goes dark like that. And then here, when the sun is emanating the ne the negative magnetism, the the positive the paramagnetism. So this stone antenna, which is made out of um, uh, basalt stone, and like the Irish stone towers, the the towers of power, that will then root the negative magnetism from the sun. So the positive nature draws in the negative, which. Mm -hmm which the soil absorbs and then that will journey to the tree, which like just eats it up. Right. So in terms of positive and negative magnetism, that's what he's talking about. I haven't heard of the sun referred to as diamagnetic and the moon is paramagnetic, but what is, what is the sun made out of? We think it's helium and hydrogen Right. We think that I don't know if that's true or if that's like a globe Earth cosmology. Uh, I, I think it's hydrogen plasma. OK, so let's just check something here. Um, is hydrogen. Diamagnetic. Well, the question What's is, that? would the plasma of hydrogen be diamagnetic? Ah. Uh, the diamagnetism of hydrogen, the value of magneton is is hydrogen a paramagnet? A hydrogen atom is paramagnetic. So is hydrogen plasma? I don't know if we're going to get an answer to this. <laughs> or paramagnetic. Why did somebody spell that wrong? Okay, magnetic or paramagnetic. Here we go. A hydrogen atom is paramagnetic. So, yeah, these things, I mean, I don't know where people are always coming from, but I don't resonate with looking at the sun as diamagnetic or paramagnetic. It the light, like there's, a, there's the sun has so many awesome qualities that we can talk about. Uh -huh. I don't know. I don't know about this dia or paramagnetic thing. I'd have to give it some thought. But the moon, for me, the moon obviously, like I know that people say that the moon shines its own light, but it's induced by the sun. Right. Right. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's good. That's good. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a light emitting diode, but you know you can have a remote energy source that that's what the sun is. It's it's doing its depending yeah. on proximity and of the other nodes too. You know, there's the 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 invisible nodes that were that we can't see. Right, right. Which right. I mean, that's just it's awesome. So getting back to the big pyramid in Costa Rica. What I'm thinking is, is what what we could do, which is it would be kind of in a very funny way, be like the original pyramids that you built for yourself, the organ accumulators. Yeah. Back in the day where you would, you know, do the the felt with the with a, a what type of mesh were you using on the top of that? Like a steel wool, a fine steel wool. Yeah. And then you would just layer those. Yeah. So if you built an all steel frame, you know, with four by four uh, galvanized steel to be able to handle the weight of the building, you know, you set it at 52.4 degrees because <laughs> he was wanting a 12 meter by 12 meter base. Imagine, I mean, that's huge, right? 
So you'd have to go that's with like twelve by twelve. That's almost forty feet. Yeah, I I always go by meter. So it's 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 at the base. It's you know about sixteen hundred square feet inside. That's crazy. <laughs> I, I think we should talk to him a little bit about that. I think we should talk him out of it being so big. <laughs> Yeah, because I say, well, we'd have to like get you up, a, you know, a good, you know, twelve feet inside of it, you know, for you to hit the king's chamber. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, totally. To meditate, he loved the idea. But what you could do is like with that, the way you used to layer your your organ accumulator is like we could do, we could soak. So what we could do is, you have your internal waterproof layer. Then over that, the thing is with that, you're going to have to use some sort of hydrocarbon to actually, you know, make it waterproof. And then on the outside of that, you do the, the layering of the felt with this, with the, the mesh with the, and then you could use, like, you're talking about a paramagnetic layer on the outside. You could actually, we have an abundance of clay down there. <laughs> we can make a clay repeo, you know, repeo is like a, uh, a mortar mix and we just but, but you're wanting to mix the orgone accumulation principle with the paramagnetic and diamagnetic principle well the thing is is you know i've bragged about you <laughs> so I, i've told him you know what a nut you are and he knows what a nut i am and so i For think that guy that wants to make the pyramid yeah Okay, well, I, again, I think we need to think about this a little bit. I'm of not course, sure I want to. We don't, this is, just so you know, like, we're not being held to anything right here. This is just brainstorming. And my audience, yeah. my audience likes the fact that I just, like, run with things and, like, think out loud you know i have uh, i feel bad for them we're like we're like just we're working out the kinks in our, our planning here. well no we don't need to work out the specifics what i'm just saying is is with this with the whole notion of paramagnetism and diamagnetism what would be your ideal for the external sheathing of this thing i would say probably some form of basalt concrete if you could do if you could do a super geeky aircrete with basalt yes is that possible yeah then that would be lighter it would be waterproof right waterproof no aircrete is porous oh is it mm -hmm. um well, well I, but i could come over it with the heotextile and cement and seal that the thing is with that is you have a hydrocarbon layer over you so you would have, you know, this air creedy, you know, paramagnetic layer. And then on top of that, as a sealer, you would have essentially a hydrocarbon on top of it. Oh, that would seal it. I think there's different things that we could seal it. We can consider sealing it with like some kind of a paint that's that has paramagnetic properties like um I don't know if there's such a thing as aluminum paint. Is blood, do you know, because, you know, people in the past, they used to see, seal their earthen structures with blood. With blood? Yeah. Well, it's got a lot. That's got iron in it. That's ferromagnetic. That's not paramagnetic. Right. I don't think I would want to do that. Aluminum paint. I don't know if I would want to put aluminum paint, but... 
aluminum, like the first model that I had of this structure, in fact, the walls are still that way, is that I had a, a um, I had sheetrock, so gypsum, you know, mm-hmm. calcium sulfate, just like in the plasterite that's on the inside. And then I had a, just a thin, uh, not not as thin as, as a regular aluminum foil that you have in your kitchen. It was like maybe two or three times that thick. And I had that as the as the di- as the paramagnetic layer because uh, aluminum is paramagnetic too. Mm-hmm. So that's an option. I I don't know if I would want to do aluminum. It's it, you know that that pyramid was nice to sit in though. You didn't feel any like ill effects from the aluminum or anything. It was really nice. Mm-hmm. So that worked. It's an option because I mean you can get a, a lot of aluminum foil and that would that would be light. That's a lot of aluminum foil down there. Just so you know, at least in the past, it was like so expensive to get any quality aluminum foil. Well, dude, anything that you put up there is going to be a lot. You're going to, you're talking like mega gallons of anything that's going up there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now what would, (laughs) what would you put at the top? Would you put some sort of crystal at the top? That would be cool. Uh, um, uh, uh, Some kind of a capstone for sure. Crystal would be good. We, you, you could even do like a organite. Um, you could we could cast a, an organite shape. Nice. Lots of crystal in it, and that will keep the energy renewed. That so could be really cool. I have a. I have everybody and their brother asking me about organite. And yeah, you're my orgone expert. So. I've done a lot of different organite in the past. I found for me, and I know I had an emotional attachment to it, so I'm not, so I'm not objective about it. Yeah. But I found the best organite I ever made was with a lot of magnetite. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because it's it's metallic and it's tons of little. You got a lot of surface area there for for geeking out on. Now there are, there are pieces of of organite which are they're pretty but they're pretty bullshit in terms of organite principles so they look all pretty they have like colorful layers and they have like a crystal and they have like a little coil and for sure you can you can program some nice intention there but that's not what that's not organite organite has millions of little shards of metal cast in resin and that really attracts energy patterns because the metallic Anything metallic attracts and reflects mm-hmm. and anything organic absorbs. So the, the metal having millions of little metallic shards just basically takes energy, takes in all this energy and like scatters it in a million ways. And so when it comes out, it's virginized, it's all cleaned out. Mm-hmm. That's what organite does. So these structures that, that they call organite, it's just kind of fancy looking and it's nice. I, I think it's beautiful, but it doesn't have that same power. Right. You know what I'm talking about. Eh? Like you, you see that organite all over the place now? I see it all over the place and I think it's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it's bullshit. I'll, I'll be less politically correct than you because uh... I'm so so politically correct. Actually I'm, I'm <laughs> really not, but I'm I'm trying not to offend anybody here. <laughs> yeah, I um no, I'm I'm more about the the function than the form. Yeah, the practical, absolutely. And so you'll laugh at this because I just did it one day just because I was just using what was available 
And a lot of times that just makes things the best. So I was actually casting, I was, I was doing concrete work and I had all this slurry left over because I was actually, you know, doing it with my Heo textile. Yeah. And I had all this magnetite that I left outside and got wet. And you know, like when your magnetite gets wet, it's like, what a bummer, you know, because you yeah. want dry magnetite to do all the other stuff. Yeah, my, yeah. Cat, pooped, my cat pooped in my magnetite. <laughs> you, you and I are literally the biggest nerds right now because we're lamenting the fact that our 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 magnetite got moist. And that, that'll be the name of this uh, this podcast, Moist yeah. Magnetite. <laughs> so, so I was like, huh. And then I had all these, like, I, I had gone to my, my, uh, tire, my mechanic and I got in water there and I left some of the conical cups in my car. And I was like, oh, the cone is just like a really cool pyramid. So I went ahead and mixed a bunch of these cone cups, you know, those little paper cups yeah, with, with the mat, the moist magnetite in the cement, dude. And the way I had them, I put them on like a, a table and I vibrated them. So all the air came out. Like I made like, oh, nice. I made nice. like perfectly, like these things solidified so well. And because they were in paper cones, the paper kind of held the moisture, which made the cement stronger, you know, cause the longer cement can stay, stay moist. moist. It doesn't crack and stuff. And yeah, yeah. And then I, I kind of forgot about it and you know, how rainy it is down there and stuff like that. So I ended up having like these 10 cones of this perfect magnetite, you know, cement. Yeah. And dude, it was like, you know, those really powerful magnets where you can feel the conical magnets where you could feel the flux. Yeah. I could feel the flux off of this stuff. Cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And I put them on the corners of my property. And then I had a friend of mine who like tried to steal the idea. I should call him. I shouldn't call him a friend an acquaint, an old acquaintance because the, it, there was no, I didn't use any resin because at the time I had never played with resin. I just used, yeah. I just used a, cement as my binder. Yeah, which is kind of like plasterite in a way, but with cement, which is really cool. By the way, the cone is is also a, a it's just like the pyramid because it comes to that point. It's it's a point of fire. Precisely. It out at the top, right? Yeah. That's the whole wizard hat. The wizards would have a hat like that because yeah, and I had read all of Grebevnikov stuff about the Russians getting these really, really high TPs out in the desert on the steps. And like you know pulling water up so i already had that in my mind so i was playing with this stuff and i was like the effect it had and then i brought it into my earthen dome and i was like you know being able to draw because i had an earthen floor in my earthen dome so it's just an above ground earth cave and then to put that in the middle of the of the earth cave it was just like it was that's awesome. amazing i can imagine you, and that was like you discovered something there you 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 innovated something there yeah and it like most innovations it was purely by just dumb luck and just like ah i have moist magnetite i have extra slurry i got these cups i, I should use them somehow because they're going to mold and it just it created it and i've never felt magnetite that good since then really never in fact most it's kind of odd because i like the i like the shininess 
in the cleanliness of the feel of epoxies. But there's something, there's some door in epoxy. There, there's something with that that type dead of... orgone energy you're referring to door. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Well, it's so chemically, you know. By the way, what what um what I just made me think of something when you cast something, it's like when a baby is born. It, you have an astrological chart, so you have planetary influences in that moment in your thing that you made. You may have made it in a very auspicious moment. You know, I, I I never I never cast a chart for that day. I wonder if there was something auspicious going on. Like I cast this medallion. I have a protective medallion. Um, I cast it out of out of six different metals. And it's got a prayer of from the the Psalms. This is a very powerful protection amulet. Mm-hmm. And I cast it. It was the most incredible. Like I waited for this time for over a year. Because I saw it, I saw it coming in the future. I was looking for aspects to this star, to the moon, and and it was so incredible. It was like meant for this this time. And um, if anybody's interested, it's an it's a Medusa amulet. It's a, it's from the star Al Gal, which is the head of Medusa. It's a very powerful protective amulet. And I have some available if they're interested in my Etsy store. <laughs> Some people might might be interested, but super powerful protective magnet, uh, sorry, protective amulet. And so my hunch is that there was something going on in that moment. That's why you created this really powerful stuff. One of the reasons that makes sense, because my old marriage ended like a couple months after that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was a hugely pivotal time because in that moment. I had so many things that I was experimenting with, but nothing like to really show for it. And my old relationship was kind of suffering from it. You know Uh, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I had experimented so much, but there was like nothing like, like for real, for real, you know? And then, and then I was getting these job offers uh, to go to Canada, to go to California. And I, and I was just like, I, Everything in my life was paramagnetic. It was going in every direction, you know? Right, which is the masculine. The masculine scatters, like the sun. When, you, when, you, when the sun shines on something, it heats it up and it scatters it. The moon actually congeals. It, 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 it draws towards the center. And uh, that's called um, syntropic. Uh, that's the, the, in the language of like John Keeley and stuff. And entropic is like towards entropy, towards chaos. That's what the sun does. You see, I get, I, I, I'm not getting that feeling on one level. Like I see the sun as negentropic. So like entropic, what does that mean? Negative entropy, which means it's actually an ordering principle. So Mm. I see the sun much more as an ordering principle because what, what my experience, especially this is great because this ties back to the sun gazing. When I'm sun gazing, there is the experience of light and heat from a point source. It's point source energy. That point source energy, when my mind is active, it feels like it's scattering because there's light and heat and there's resistance and there's uncomfortability. Yeah, Yeah. But that's only on one level. 
once I get through that level, then the point source itself immediately orders myself and then it disappears and it goes black. And it's not because my eyes are burned out or anything like that. It's, <laughs> it's because <laughs> no, it, it literally goes dark. Right. And it's the, and then it's like the portal sun, you know, that's what. Ah, right. Well, maybe you're seeing the, you, maybe you're getting past the, the entropic aspect of the sun into like some deeper aspect of it. Yeah, I, I feel it's pattern. I think it's pattern, pattern. Like I think it it's actually the patterning. That's why, like with the water, when I vortex water in sunlight relative to moonlight, it has a much different quality to it. It's odd because I'll do it in in sunlight and it will get cooler. If I do it in moonlight, it gets warmer. What what water is this you're referring to? My vortexer. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't have a 15 gallon vortexer like you do. I have a I have a one and a half liter. Well, vortexer. maybe someday, maybe someday. <laughs> but look, th these are just principles of, of alchemy, and and also you know John Keeley's work. I love John Keeley's work um, mm -hmm. in in vibrational vibratory physics. You know, sympathetic resonance and stuff like that. So he you know he talks a lot about entropy and and syntropy and it gets it can get confusing when you want to label it masculine and feminine mm -hmm. but the sun is a radiative body so it radiates outward and the moon condenses inward if you think about consciousness when we're awake it, when we're awake during the day it's a metaphor our consciousness is outward when we go to sleep the consciousness goes inward and it's self-illuminated like the moon and sleep is ruled by the moon. Mm -hmm. So this, the moon causes that to go inside deeper. It deepens towards the center. It's, it's syntropic in that way. And the sun is entropic. It's, it's outward. It goes out towards the infinite, mm -hmm. so to speak. And the moon goes in towards the infinite. Hmm. I like what you're saying with that. I, I just have to kind of, I'm just comparing it to my experience with the two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it might be, I might be experiencing some principles of like, so when I'm in a lot of moon light, I get highly agitated. I actually feel paramagnetic. You get loony. Yeah. Loony bins, man. It's a lunatic. That's all because of the moon. Moon really agitates the emotion. So that energy, like every full full moon hike that I did, and I did like a bunch of them over the years. Like the the level, it made no sense because it would be cool outside, but I would have so much internal heat and just all this agitation and all this like weird thought occurring. Maybe you're like part werewolf. Like you can't fully. Dude, look. Ah, ah. My daughter, my daughter always wants to. She's like, Yeti. Where's the Yeti? Yeah. So yeah. you're like, you're like one eighth from some ancestor werewolf. So you can't fully manifest, but you like want to manifest. Well, we were trying to figure out if my dad was Nephilim. Oh, yeah. Whoa. <laughs>
No, because he had a whole, he had two extra rows of teeth and he had hair on his, like, he was like the hairiest thing ever. <laughs> so I've, I've heard accounts of Nephilim, you know, that, and he was like, he was extremely strong. Like, was he tall? No, no, he was the runt of the, of, of the family on that side. That might exclude him from being a Nephilim in my Well, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, they, they, they made love with lots of, you know, <laughs> yeah, daughter sure. daughters of men, you know? The, yeah, for sure, for sure. He, so he got some of that genetic, maybe. But he was still a scholarship athlete. Like, he was the fastest guy in, in Florida in track as a white boy. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So, like, he, he had wheels. And he, he was very, very strong. Like, he was only, like, 175 pounds or something like that, six foot. But he could bench press over 400 pounds. Wow. Yeah, and I always I always thought he was lying until my senior year where I thought I was like cock of the walk and I take him to, you know, my high school and we're going to go weightlift and I'm like put 225 up and I'm like repping 225 like stop, stop. And like <laughs> and my dad's just like, "Oh, that's great." And he's just spotting me like it's nothing. No, it wasn't 225, it was 185, excuse me. And he uh then he gets he goes oh i'm will you spot me i'm like oh sure i'm like ha, old man ha. dude he <laughs> repped out this weight like it was nothing like just perfect form and i'm just like damn <laughs> like so, it, very yeah. impressive so that, that I think that was my tangent, calling you like a werewolf blood, and that brought you to the Nephilim and somehow to your dad. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing, right? Because like it, it's all related to one way or another. It's, it's right. All, it's all good, my friend. It's all so, good. Um, we're obviously gonna have to do this again. I'm gonna call it coffee talk with Moshe, even though we're doing this in the middle of the night for me. Um, yeah. So. I want you to tell people real quickly about the services that you provide because you've been an integral part of my health and well-being over the last 15 years. And I, yeah. I, I want people to know exactly what you provide and where they could find you. Okay. Thank you. You, you know, my primary um, objective now, call it my primary intention, is to train people in the medicine that I practice, which is called... Uh, well, it's, it's naturopathic medicine, but the modality that I teach is called holistic counseling. And it's a very powerful form of counseling that ask, just through asking people questions and in a, in a specific way, it gets them to go deeper and deeper in reflection where their mind, their conscious mind, like a kind of uh, a sub, like an aqua um, explorer, you know, like those, those little machines that go deep 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 into the sea and they shine light in the darkness of the sea so you bring your conscious mind into your subconscious so you could recognize the patterns and the choices and the subconscious this the subconscious um basically elements that are occurring that are governing your behavior your suffering your illness your depression whatever it may be so it's a very powerful healing and it heals more than just the mental emotional but it even goes into healing the physical. So I work, I work as a practitioner. I, I do work one-on-one -on -one with people. And if somebody's interested, I would be happy to work with them. 
Um, and also I'd be happy to train people that are interested in learning this technique, which is also, a, there's a kind of, um, there's a physician heal thyself thing. There's a, a, a healer heal thyself element where whoever takes the course, it's very deeply healing. Um, so I'd love to offer that. And, and that is, um, if you're interested, it's holistic without the W. So just H O L I S T I C dash counseling with one L dot C A. And that's where you could see the program. You could also contact me through there if you're interested in a personal appointment. Um, pretty profound pr appointment. And I also work after I get very deep, I can I can help understand this theme in a person's life. Because that when you start working with a person, there's kind of chaos, there's stories and all these different things. You're not sure what's going on until it starts to organize and get deeper and deeper. And, and then when you understand the sort of theme that that is the wound of the person, their delusion, their false belief, then a substance in nature can be applied to that essential problem homeopathically to heal that person. So I also do that as well. I do the homeopathy with the counseling and it's a very nice combination, actually. Very, it works beautifully together. And I can personally attest to its effectiveness because before Mackenzie and I got married, she took your course in Costa Rica. Yeah. And was it was, cool. it was the Vs dialogue. Is the Vs dialogue holistic counseling or the same? Yeah. Program? That's, that's what the dialogue is called as part of the program of holistic counseling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And my wife is the ultimate shit tester. She does not, <laughs> she does not suffer fools, you know, likely she just doesn't. And I, I too, like, I mean, it's a it's a weekly thing where she's like she's all she'll bring up the Vs dialogue and how much she got from that. So I I know, and I know you, <laughs> so I I can definitely attest to to the the breadth and the width of your knowledge and your care. It's you know it's it's not just enough to know. It's also how you care and like how that you live this. Thank um, you, man. There's so much of my life. I, the second I saw your work and read your, your your first few books, I I knew I had to 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 know you, <laughs> and I reached yeah. out to you, and I'm just so happy to have you as a friend and as a fellow a fellow experimenter, and I really appreciate you coming on 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 the cast. Um, and we're gonna it's dive. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I love it, and I appreciate you also so much as a friend. We've turned over so many rocks together and explored so many things like the mojo and um you know farming aspects and then then this electroculture and flat earth yeah that's a fun thing that's a yeah. fun thing yeah man so i love you brother you have a wonderful day and i will uh, let you know when all this come goes out to to the worldwide whatever i think we're gonna yeah. do i think we're gonna do uh post on the 19th of this month okay cool i would be very impressed if somebody got to the end of that discussion and <laughs> <laughs> to get that information well you guys so listen to this so this is i'm i'm eventually just going to do live streaming because um the where what's occurring is the people that i really enjoy and the people that i'm getting the most from they're they're in a more interactive medium 
Mm -hmm. And live streaming really allows for this interaction to occur. It It allows for the spontaneity of things. So I'm moving my production in that direction. I do my I do my podcast like it would be a live stream. Like when I try and be Mr. Interviewer and just like st- stay on one thing, it's like I have no juice. There's nothing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's too, like, bro, it's like me- mechanical and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and to me, that's like, you know, legacy media. That's going away. That's like, that's so passe. So in the future, when we do this again, we'll probably do a live stream where, you know, my my different clients and and different people can chime in and ask you questions because you're just such a wealth of knowledge that uh we can't keep you all bottled up and in, in in the corner uh, of tenant in- let this gotta let this guy go free <laughs> <laughs> all yeah, right that'd be, that'd be fun that'd be a lot of fun i'll be happy to let's definitely do this again and we could have you know just some loose topics that we think of and i mean look we migrated across a multitudes of topics so I'm sure we'll do that again. Like, now. Can't you see how it's all interrelated? It's all one, man. It's all one. It's no, one. don't say that. I did say that. I said it's all <laughs> interrelated. It's 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 the oneness, man. Oh my God, we've we've <laughs> literally flipped the script. <laughs> <laughs> all right. right, all right, brother. Thanks, right. man. See you soon, Moshi. See you soon. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the podcast with Dr. Moshe Daniel. I think I want to do a monthly segment with Moshe. I would like to hear your feedback on our Telegram chat, which is the Bio Charisma podcast chat on Telegram. Uh, Please reach out and tell me what you thought. I would like to talk to him because he and I could really dive into any one subject for hours and hours and hours. (laughs) So... This podcast was just sort of a splatter shot uh, type of podcast, conversational. But I know we would both like to go a little bit deeper into the more nuanced uh, aspects of things. In this case, alchemy or organ accumulation or pyramid building, all of these things that uh, we're experimenting with. So let me know what you think in the BioCharisma podcast chat on Telegram. Uh, If you want to support the podcast, you can donate on Topher HQ. Topher HQ holds my, pretty much my my current body of work. Um, I have two construction companies. I have this podcast. I also consult with people when it comes to timing, (laughs) what I call celestic profiling. So uh, let me know if you're interested in that. You can always reach out there through contact on at topherhq.com. And um, like I said, the, the BioCharisma podcast chat is, is, is wonderful. Right now we're at about 700 subscribers on Telegram for the, for the podcast. If you like the podcast, please share it far and wide. Um, I'm just starting out with this. Got some great people on deck. I'll be uh, having um, Owen Benjamin on this following week. We're going to really get into quality versus quantity in this year of discernment. Uh, I think this is a is a, this is a huge thing to talk about. Um, <laughs> his current threads around uh, you know culture 
and what actually creates culture has been very uh, fun to listen to and it it weaves a neat little thread um if you guys remember the podcast that i did with gabriel gabriel peters slick dissonant um, we've done some more research since our podcast and we're going to come back on together again and talk about this change of an age because uh, I'm pretty convinced that that's happened and uh, we'll discuss why that's important because as always I'm always talking about the grammar of the situation which is the who, what, when, where, and why and uh, made a wonderful contact with Matt Presti uh, had the had a good talk with the Alpha Theta boys and uh, they hooked me up with uh, Matt Presti and he's the the president of the Walter Russell Foundation so Walter Russell has some wonderful ways of looking at this hologram we call life so please enjoy share and uh, let me know what you guys think in the chat talk to you soon Tell